Welcome to Prophecy Today. I'm Jimmy DeYoung Jr. Along with my brother Rick, we examine current events in the light of God's prophetic word. Rick, there's so much happening in our world today, and I cannot believe that we're already through the month of, well, I mean, we're at the halfway point of November. That's true. Thanksgiving right around the corner, just talking about that with our families. For today, I'm certainly excited about some of the guests we have on our program today. Yes, we do have great guests, as always, Ken Timmerman, uh, Dave Dolan, Winky Madad, uh, Itamar Marcus with Palestinian Media Watch is on the program today, and we have a special uh, segment with Rabbi Hillel Weiss, the head of the Sanhedrin that has been reformed in Israel. And of course, as always, the Legacy Series with Dr. Jimmy DeYoung and his teaching, continuing the series of the three strands of the human family, examining how the Jews, the Jewish people play a role in God's plan, not only in scripture, but in the future events of Bible prophecy. Rick, let's get started. Who do we have first today? Well, we're thankful to have our first guest. He's Ken Timmerman. He is our expert on geopolitical affairs, and we're thankful that he can be with us this week. So why don't we play our normal weekly game of Where in the World is Ken Temmerman Today? <laughs> You've caught me in the south of France, uh, just in from my olive orchard where we've been harvesting the olives this year. Never a dull moment in the Timmerman household, that's for sure. Well, Ken, let's, let's get started right away. And the first issue I'd like you to talk about, I've noticed in Iran that they have kicked off a massive military exercise. What is this about? Well, these are annual exercises. They hold them every year. But every year they tend to get more aggressive. Every year they tend to be more pointed towards Israel or the United States. Uh, the Iranians make all kinds of claims about their military powers. Recently, they said, for example, that they had uh, interrupted or uh, prevented a U.S. effort to intercept an Iranian drone in the Gulf of Oman. And the Pentagon said, well, that was completely untrue. There's nothing like that that ever happened. So these are annual exercises, but what we are witnessing, and this is the real uh, takeaway for all of our listeners, is that the Iranian military is getting more powerful every year. So now they have armed drones, and they're able to use them in uh, Lebanon. They're use, able to use them in Syria and uh, also in Yemen. They attack uh, Americans, and uh, it's, we believe that they launched an attack on the Iraqi, an assassination attempt on the Iraqi prime minister uh, uh, 10 days ago. So this is a military getting more experienced, getting better equipped, and becoming obviously more dangerous because of their ideological bent their determination to destroy the state of Israel and America. They're getting stronger right now without even having the U.S. sanctions lifted. Well, that's right. And, and that's the irony here is that they complain about U.S. sanctions, and some of our European powers from time to time complain about those sanctions, but the Iranian military is able to navigate around them. Now, we used to have sanctions on the Revolutionary Guards and on the Quds Force. Those are gradually being lifted the Biden administration has lifted sanctions on individual entities and individuals inside the Iranian regime. Uh, so it's, it's not quite clear exactly which sanctions are still in place. But I will say this. The Treasury Department, which is the part of the U.S. government that administers these sanctions, uh, continues to find new Iranian entities to place under U.S. sanctions. And in particular, uh, just 10 days ago, they sanctioned a number of companies and individuals because of their involvement in these drone programs that I mentioned earlier. 
the drone programs, helping Hamas, helping Hezbollah, attacking the Iraqi prime minister. And in the Treasury Department, they said they're even in Ethiopia. Well, continuing on, and we we look at Iran as a growing military power, but the established military power of China is is shocking even to me. They have the world's largest navy and uh, the world's largest standing army. Yeah, well, this is something that, again, should not be a surprise to anybody who's following military affairs. I did a study on this, uh, my gosh, 10 years ago, just before I ran for Congress in 2012, uh, for an organization called Let Freedom Ring. And at that point, you could see with the Chinese projections of their own spending, military spending, that they would have this 350 or 360 ship Navy, which is what they've got today, by the year 2020 or 2021. So they're right on target uh, for, uh, with their goals. And their goals, and this is the thing to remember here, the Chinese goals uh, are to complete their modernization of their military by 2035 and then to become, this is their term, a world-class military by the 100th anniversary of the communist revolution. So by 2049, they want to be a world-class military. And frankly, uh, I, you know, it, it goes well beyond that, Rick. They want to be the hegemon of the world, the world's leading military power by 2049. Well, we look at world military powers aligning and we've talked about iran who's a growing military power and maybe a potential nuclear threat we've talked about china and now i wanted to get your comments on the european union and we've we've monitored this story before but that they are looking to combine uh, and create a a kind of a strategic army or a military arm of the european union <laughs> well Rick, uh, allow me just to laugh a little bit. The Europeans have been talking about this for 30 years. And every time they get a little bit upset with the United States, they say, well, uh, NATO's not helping us. NATO's not defending us. Why don't we create our own standing army? Uh, You had this even after 9-11 when the Europeans said that they were going to create a rapid deployment force that would be a little bit like the U.S. Marines or some of our special forces that would be able to uh, go to deploy to overseas contingency uh, operations around the world. They never did that. Uh, They were never able to operate really together uh, outside of NATO. The leading advocate of this new European army is a little cookie, the French President Macron. And he is facing a pretty uh, strong challenge from Eric Zemmour, a, a journalist on the right, in France, and Eric Zemmour is talking about France first. I cannot imagine that either Eric Zemmour or the people supporting him are going to be very interested in a European-wide army. They might want to intensify or beef up the French armed forces, and that would be fine. Uh, The French have deployed in in Chad, in Mali, in uh, Africa to uh, lead the fight, really, against uh, al-Qaeda in Africa. That is their traditional sphere of influence. But a European army with the French at the head of it, don't think it's going to happen soon. Well, Europe notwithstanding, when you look at some of the other people we've talked about today, and you combine that with the reality that, especially under the current administration, we are looking at maybe um, uh, decreasing defense spending. Well, I don't know that the rest of the world is going to say... 
uh, is going to be okay with that or is going to fall in line with that. Well, no, but that's the thing. They want it all for free. The Europeans want it for free. <laughs> and who were the first ones who complained when President Trump said, uh, Europe, you've got to meet the 3%, actually they reduced it to 2%, uh, GDP spending requirement to be a, a, a member of NATO in good standing. It was mainly the Eastern European countries, Poland, the Czech Republic, the former, you know, right, the former Warsaw Pact countries that were very eager to join NATO and to meet those commitments. Germany, Italy, France, old Europe, not so much. Final question, Ken. There's some talk about some diplomatic ties possibly being created between uh, Libya and, the, and Israel. Could you tell us a little bit about that? Well, very interesting here. This is the son of uh, General Haftar, and General Haftar is a very interesting figure. He's the guy now in um, uh, Benghazi who is backed by Russia, uh, backed uh, by Egypt, not backed by the United States, although he was trained by the United States, and, it's, and at a certain point, it said that he was on the CIA payroll. But uh, the, the United, the U.S. has shunned General Haftar, even though he is fighting against the Islamist regime in Tripoli, the capital of Libya. So you've got two governments, and you've had this for uh, four or five years now. You have two governments in Libya, an Islamist regime, the Muslim Brotherhood, supported by the European Union and the uh, United Nations, and then you've got General Haftar in Benghazi who said, we don't want uh, the Muslim Brotherhood in uh, Libya any more than the Egyptians wanted the Muslim Brotherhood in Egypt. Uh, and yet the United States continues to shun him. So what he's done this week is to send his son, whose name is Saddam, by the way, his first name is Saddam. Huh. So he sent Saddam Haftar to Israel uh, on his way back to Libya from the United Arab Emirates to have some kind of secret talks. Now, we don't know what actually transpired, but the very fact that he stops on his way uh, uh, between, between the UAE and Libya and everybody knows that he has stopped in Tel Aviv and he's there to talk with the Israeli officials, you know that something's being cooked uh, in the background. And frankly, I think this is very good news. This is a way of defusing uh, a, a bit the potential of another Muslim uh, brother-controlled country in the Middle East, in Libya. So I think it's a, it's a good sign to see General Haftar reaching out to Israel, uh, and even to Russia in this case, uh, because it is a way of checking, a means of checking, the expansion of the Muslim Brotherhood. Well, I agree, Ken. It is a very interesting situation to keep an eye on. We appreciate you doing that for us. Uh, I want to thank you for coming on today and informing our listeners, and I want to wish you a good olive oil production season there in the south of France. <laughs> thanks. thanks so much, Rick. And, you know, we've got uh, my daughter here who's uh, flown in from Barcelona, uh, so we've had them with us as well, so it's been really a, a very pleasant uh, family holiday as well. That sounds wonderful. Right. That sounds wonderful. Thank you, Ken. All right. Thank you, Rick. Right. God bless. Thanks, Rick. That was a great interview with Ken Timmerman. We're going to have to take a break, and when we come back, we'll be talking with David Dolan with his Middle East news update and everything that's taken place in the land of Israel and how it affects our world in which we're living in today. That's all ahead right here on Prophecy Today Weekend.
Every believer needs to understand Bible prophecy. Whether you're a novice or a student, we are here to help you. Just visit prophecytoday.com and click on the link for the Prophecy Bookstore. There you will find a large selection of CD sets, DVDs, and books for the Bible Prophecy Student written by Dr. Jimmy DeYoung and other prominent scholars. While you're there, be sure to check out Dr. DeYoung's latest series called Presidents, Politics, and Prophecy. This series examines how God has used human leaders in general and specifically the last seven U.S. presidents to set the stage for Bible prophecy to be fulfilled. This was shot on location in Washington, D.C. and is available on DVD or as a 10-hour audio series on CD. Be sure to check back often for special deals. You can visit prophecytoday.com and click on Bookstore, or you can go directly to prophecybookstore.com. I'm Ruth Kramer with Mission Network News. Sudan remains in a communications blockout 19 days after military leaders took control of the country. John, a gospel worker focused on Sudan, says the October 25th coup did not surprise believers. A new report from the Religious Freedom Institution identifies active threats to religious freedom and stability like the security forces. Nonetheless, hope remains. The Lord is still at work in Sudan. Pray believers from a Muslim background become a powerful kingdom-building force. And in August, sudden wildfires swept through Algeria's Kabyle region. Ninety people died, and many others lost their homes and farms. This region of Algeria has suffered greatly due to COVID-19. Many families have lost multiple people to the virus. Christians often feel isolated as churches remain closed. And that's where Sat7 comes in, says Joe Willie, broadcasting worship and teaching programs into people's homes. Ask God to strengthen Algeria's believers. Mission Network News, a service of One Way Ministries. I'm Ms. Kramer. And we're back right here on Prophecy Today, the program that looks at current events in the light of God's prophetic word. Well, we have with us today Dave Dolan for our Middle East News Update. Dave, getting right into it, the first thing I'd like to talk to you about, it looks like a high-stakes game of chicken between the U.S. and the state of Israel right now over adding or reopening the consulate in the city of Jerusalem. Could you talk about why these stakes are so high and what's the important details in this situation? Well, Rick, why the issues coming to the fore now is that the Biden administration agreed to wait on pushing for the opening of a Palestinian consulate in Jerusalem until after the Israeli government was able to pass a budget. Well, that happened last weekend. The new state budget is in. And so now this issue may be coming on the table. As we've discussed before, the Palestinians had a consulate in East Jerusalem. It was actually uh, right across the street from the Garden Tomb. Some of your listeners will know that area, north of Damascus Gate. That was closed down during the second uprising uh, because of the violence that was going on in the area. And after that, the Palestinians went to another building in the center of Jerusalem, right next to the main park in the city, uh, very close to the hotel section, the King David Hotel and others, then they would go there. Well, that was shut down when the U.S. Embassy was moved a couple years ago, three years ago almost, um, to uh, Jerusalem from Tel Aviv. So the Palestinians were going to the U.S. Embassy for any business they had, and that's right on the border between the old Jordanian-controlled section of Jerusalem, East Jerusalem, and the Jewish side, West Jerusalem. 
This uh, move to the center of the city would be a whole new thing. And um, the Israelis uh, say, you know, this would effectively redivide the city. It would be saying that we recognize, we the United States recognize, the Palestinians have a claim on the city, and that this will also be their future capital if they set up a, a country. But as you know, the Israelis say, no, the city will remain undivided. And if the U.S. wants to open a consulate in Ramallah, just north of Jerusalem, where the Palestinian Authority is headquartered, that's where they actually have their offices, that would be okay, but not in Jerusalem itself. So uh, the fear, uh, Rick, is that the uh, very fragile coalition that exists today, eight parties, in the current government, ranging from two left-wing parties, an Arab party, to two right-wing Jewish nationalist parties, that it would fall apart over this issue. It's that important. So we'll have to see, but it looks like it's going to be coming on the table here real soon, and there could be some fireworks. Well, and it's essentially opening up a de facto Palestinian embassy in Jerusalem. There is another issue that I wanted to talk to you about, and it's a campaign promise. And I know that there's many supporters of the current administration and the current president, President Biden, that would maybe even like to take this a step further and move the embassy that was moved to Jerusalem by President Trump, move it back to Tel Aviv. What would happen then? Well, that's considered pretty unlikely. Um, After all, President Trump wasn't the first person that brought this issue up. It was Congress in the mid-1990s that voted to move the embassy from Tel Aviv to Jerusalem and to recognize Jerusalem as Israel's capital, which, of course, it is. And all of their main uh, government buildings are there. The parliament, the Knesset is there. So Jerusalem is, in fact, their capital. Uh, I don't think it would go that far, Rick, uh, to to try to move it back to Tel Aviv. I think there would be an explosion in the Senate if they did that, a lot of opposition to that. But again, to reopen a consulate inside of Jerusalem and to have it right in the center of the city, basically, is uh, moving backwards, the Israelis feel. And that is something that the Biden administration seems committed to. Anthony Blinken, the Secretary of State, said it would occur Uh, But according to law, uh, a host nation has the right to refuse a consulate from any country in any city that it wants to. So if China wants to open a consulate in Houston, well, the U.S. government has to agree to that. If America wants to open a consulate in Jerusalem for the Palestinians, the Israeli government has to agree to that according to law. So uh, we'll see where this goes, but it's a very, very explosive issue and one that could destroy the current Israeli government. Well, we move from Jerusalem and to Israel's neighbors to the north, and it looks like Russia is going to begin providing even more support and military aid to the current government in Syria. Well, in fact, there's been uh, more action up in Syria this week. Um, Another Israeli airstrike, actually two of them, and one, Rick, was very significant because it was in the coastal town of Tardis, city of Tardis, which um, Israel rarely targets that area because the Russians have their Air Force base and a naval base in that area. But um, the seventh uh, attack, Israeli attack, in over a month, the Russians have been talking to the Israelis about these strikes and are not overthrilled with them, but have said, as long as you give us some notice and we can make sure we don't get entangled with you, that's fine. In the meantime, uh, they continue to 
occasionally shoot at these uh, Israeli uh, sorties into the area, at least the Syrians do, using Russian-made equipment. And the SS-350 is um, up there, and the SS, these are surface-to-surface uh, systems, and then they have surface-to-air systems, the S-400, and uh, they have various ranges, and the Russians continue to increase their on-the-ground presence, as it were, and uh, the equipment that they're providing to the Syrians is quite significant. But, Rick, another thing that happened, the head of the Iranian Revolutionary Guards in Syria, the one that was commanding all of their forces inside of Syria, was kicked out of the country by the Assad government uh, during the week. Uh, He apparently had authorized some operations and some things that were going on that were beyond what the Syrian government and the Russians really wanted to see. But the Iranians are deeply entrenched in Syria, and Israel will continue to go after it. And by the way, the head of the Iranian Air Force said this week that if there is any Israeli action upon uh, the Iranian nuclear program, that Israel could begin the war, but Iran will end it with the complete destruction of Israel, he said. He said it's the only country in the world whose existence is in question, and he said it will not remain on the world map if Israel starts any sort of military action. So the war of words continue, and there's action on the ground, especially in Syria. Well, that certainly is a long-standing thought process that goes on in Iran as far as how they are going to deal with Israel. That's one thing to say it and another thing to be able to do it, correct? Well, exactly. But the Iranians are are a significant force. There's no question about it. And uh, again, um, the Israelis have no uh, beef with the Iranians uh, other than that the Iranians have said, we're going to destroy you. Uh, Israel's never fought a war, as I said, with Iran. It's quite a distance away. They're not Arabs. They're Muslims, but not Arabs. They're Shiite Muslims. And they made the decision decades ago to take on Israel, to try to eliminate the Jewish state from the region because of their religious convictions that there cannot be Jews ruling over Muslims, according to the Quran, and therefore Israel has to cease as a Jewish state and the Jews go elsewhere. Well, um, the Israelis are not about to do that. They have a strong, strong force. They have allies. In fact, there were more uh, war games this week, Rick, uh, this time involving Bahrain and the UAE with the U.S., naval exercises in the Red Sea, south of Eilat, uh, these uh, different navies practicing um, joint maneuvers and joint actions. Of course, the real scene of action would be the Persian Gulf, not the Red Sea so much, but Iran continues to increase its capabilities on the oceans as well as its cruise missile forces and its uh, drone forces, and it's got satellites now. So they are certainly a major force, but The Israelis are, too. And as I said last week, hopefully the United States, other countries. We recently had Great Britain for the first time since 1948 participate in some uh, war exercises in the south of Israel. That hasn't happened in many decades. So they've got friends, but Iran has friends, too, and in particular China that gets most of its oil uh, from Iran.
Very interesting players, all of these people, and especially uh, right here at Prophecy Today as we focus on Bible prophecy. All these names are mentioned in Bible prophecy in the future, and they will be key players in the future as they are now, correct? They will, and in that regard, Ethiopia is listed in Ezekiel 38 as being one of the allies with Iran in this end-time war that will come. And we've recently had Iran stepping up its military aid to Ethiopia as a civil war rages there. So Iran's trying to get in the door there as well. And uh, we see all these pieces coming together, but uh, the Lord's in charge, and we know how it's going to all ultimately end, not with Israel's destruction, but with the Messiah returning and ruling and reigning from Jerusalem. That's the capital that will remain forever. Well, Dave, thank you so much for keeping us up to date on these issues, because these issues are what is showing us how the stage is being set, and they're showing us the signs, and they're showing us the urgency in which we should live. So thank you for doing that. Glad to do it, Rick. God bless. Well, stay right here with us. We're going to take a break here on Prophecy Today, and when we come back, we're going to talk to Israel Madad, right here on Prophecy Today Radio. Have you ever wanted to know more about God's plan for the future? Have you ever tried to understand prophetic passages in God's Word, like, say, the book of Revelation, and been frustrated at not being able to figure it out? Dr. Jimmy DeYoung's latest CD series, Keys for Unlocking God's Plan for the Future, will help you gain the ability to understand where to start in your study of prophecy and allow you to read God's Word in a new and exciting way. Understanding God's prophetic Word will allow you to live a pure and productive life until Jesus returns for the church. Keys will help you gain the tools you need to understand the end-time events as foretold in God's Word. Dr. DeYoung lays out a systematic approach to Bible prophecy for those who want to know God's plan for the future. Tracks included are A Roadmap Through the End Times, The Jew in Jerusalem, Daniel and the Antichrist, Ezekiel and Messiah's Temple, and Revelation and Babylon. To order your copy of Dr. Jimmy DeYoung's Keys for Unlocking God's Plan for the Future, visit our website at prophecytoday.com. We are back here on Prophecy Today, our second half hour, and in this half hour, we have our usual guest and good friend, Winky Madad. Winky, thank you for joining us today. Thank you for having me on, Rick. Winky, we'll get right into it, and my first question for you is, we're looking at the fact that the Biden administration has abstained from a United Nations General Assembly resolution affirming Palestinian refugees' right to return. Now, this is a reversal from Trump era or Trump administration policy. What can you tell us about this situation? Well, I don't think I'm that up on it. the, The situation here is that the United States is trying to placate two sides of the coin which usually sounds okay, unless one side happens to be very wrong and the other side happens to be very right. And this has been going on now, I think, since 1948, and for too many years during that period of time up until now. The State Department, uh, officialdom, can I call them, the bureaucrats, have been more or less antagonistic uh, to Israel. And it's been the job of the administration's uh, the presidents, of course, and the secretaries of state, and the Congress to sort of weigh in and give us a little bit of more balance in the situation. One issue out, which is relevant to something we've been discussing over the past few weeks, 
Jerusalem. Up until the Trump administration, Jerusalem was not recognized. And the Trump administration, in recognizing that it was uh, Israel's capital, was a major step forward. But I think the Trump, even the Trump administration, indicated that step was not to be construed as influencing the outcome of the negotiations. So, Winky, just so our listeners are clear, what is the right of return, and how would it affect the state of Israel? The so-called right of return, which is not a right, uh, it's nowhere written that it is a right, and it's based on a U.N. resolution that says they have a choice of returning or being compensated, it would mean, basically, that unlimited numbers of Arabs, most of them have been living for the past 70 years outside of the borders of Israel, far away, including perhaps Kuwait and maybe even Detroit, could say, well, we want to come back to what was Palestine. And that would basically alter the demographic balance, especially if most of them would be motivated for a little bit more than nationalist endeavors to wipe Israel off the face of the earth. And I don't think Israel, among many things it could do better, is not going to commit political suicide. So what it would be safe to say, if we went from voting against it to then just simply abstaining it, it's a shift in the United States' support of Israel. I would guess so. We're facing an administration that is trying to do or finish, can I say, what the Obama administration tried to do. Many people suspect that there's a lot of behind-the-scenes maneuvering in the Biden administration. Maybe one day we will know about adopting a progressive liberal agenda which cares a lot for lofty principles that have no connection with history, with the facts on the ground, with issues of security, and, if we mention rights, rights of Jews to live in their national homeland. Well, I continue along that thought then, and we look at the Biden administration, and it seems like they're apparently trying to prop up the current leadership, Mahmoud Abbas, in the hopes that it would embolden moderate Palestinians who are prepared to, to make peace with Israel, but it seems to be having the opposite effect. Propping up an 80-plus man who's been 16 or 17 years without elections president of the Palestinian Authority, which means all this time the United States has not pressured the Palestinian side to be democratic. Only recently, under the Trump administration, began to investigate and withdraw monies or withhold monies and begin to look at all the unethical and illegal actions taken by the authority. And if this doesn't continue under the Biden administration, any political choice they make will be very uh, uh, hostile uh, to Israel's uh, future. Abbas is the, is the head of Fatah, or the Palestinian Authority. Hamas would be his sworn enemy, is that correct? Hamas is basically uh, Abbas's sworn enemy, and his greatest fear, perhaps for not holding those elections I mentioned, uh, were uh, the fact that he'd lose them, because they don't play fair, and the Arab man in the street the population uh, can be easily forced or even uh, enticed to go more 
uh, extreme and radical that is necessary in this conflict. Final question on that line. I do know that the Biden administration has reversed a Trump-era administration of providing funds to the Palestinian Authority. What do those funds, in effect, do for the Palestinian Authority? What is What does it enable them to do, and where do they use those funds? Well, uh, there are several hundreds of millions of dollars that have been released. It is our fear that these funds are allowing the Palestinian Authority to continue subsidies and grants to families of terrorists who are sitting in jail for crimes against uh, Israel and Israelis, according to the level of violence that they used. If they killed a Jew, they get more money. If they only threw a a stone at a car window, they get a lot less. And once the Americans entered into the fray and forced the Palestinians to uh, reorganize their economic base, I'm talking about the Trump administration, that was good news. Biden now opened it up. I'm going to make a parallel here, which is not completely correct, but will give you the sense of my feeling about the situation of the Biden administration releasing all these funds, similar to something that was done by the Obama administration with Iran, dumping upon them billions of dollars, in the end, allowed Iran to continue its terror warfare throughout the region here. These things are unsupervised. These things are allowing uh, the bodies that be, whether it's the Palestinian Authority, whether it's uh, NGOs or, or American-sponsored programs, to let them keep the money for the terror while allowing them to do a little bit of civil service uh, uh, work and uh, cultural work and humanitarian projects that really don't do much on the ground here. It's a mobilized population. They know they should not rock the boat because only their leadership will get this money. It came through, and they were excited, and it should be very suspect, and I don't know if there's proper oversight or supervision of the spending of these funds, where it's going to, and uh, where other monies that these monies have gone to are going on the next link in the chain, as I suspect, to nefarious uh, goals. Switching gears a little bit, and I'd like to get your comment. I know that there's some conflict in Ethiopia, and I know it it has gotten so intense. uh, Forces between rebellious forces and the current government were the Israeli uh, embassy... Uh, people have had to evacuate. So I just wonder if, do you know anything about this situation? And also, can you tell us a little bit about uh, the special connection between Israel and Ethiopia, and specifically Ethiopian Jews? Well, Rick, I, uh, way back in the early 1970s, met some of the first immigrants from Ethiopia that basically had to sneak out and and make their way uh, out. So we in Israel have recognized you know, a 2,000-year link of these Jews living in Ethiopia. And whenever trouble hits Jews, uh, whether it's from dictators, anti-Semites, or local politics and civil or fratricide war, uh, Israel is very interested because we do not want any more Jews to undergo that experience of Europe in the uh, mid-1940s. It's a conflict that's been going on for a long time. If the rebels continue their march south onto Abishab Ababa, obviously we're going to have to put some rescue operations. We've done that before. 
with Operation Moses and Operation uh, Shlomo Solomon. Exact thing, something like 15,000 people. I don't think any other country in the world, a white country, brought in 15,000 dark-skinned people into it, even in Africa. So uh, we want to be able to save Jews, which is one of the reasons, Rick, and all our friends who are listening, why Israel exists. We're not completely in- immersed with ourselves. We are concerned with others, whether they be Jews or even non-Jews. Let me continue to my last subject, Winky, and it, it kind of relates here. Israel is commemorating the 83rd year of a somber occasion, the night of Kristallnacht. Could you tell us what Kristallnacht is and why Israel remembers it in such a somber way? Uh, on November 9th, 1938, the Nazi regime put into a plan that had been, shall we say, on the table for a while, waiting for the proper moment. Hundreds of synagogues were broken into, glass was shattered, and that's where the name comes from, because glass in German is Kristall, and, uh, and burned. If I'm not mistaken, also several hundred Jews committed suicide as a result of that. Hundreds more were taken into a Dachau concentration camp, and it was basically like the forerun for the Holocaust, Hitler looked around for a couple of weeks. The world wasn't really responding, and he realized he had a basic green light to continue to, to persecute the Jews. So for us, living today, it's not only the attack against synagogues, the houses of worship, and what was done, but it signals also for us the, the eternal vigilance that we have to be aware of, whether or not people who try to do us harm can get away with their deeds. We will not allow this to happen again. That issue does bring up a question. There's another report, findings coming out, that over half of the adult population in the U.K. does not realize that 6 million Jews were killed in the Holocaust. I am pretty sure they know a lot more about African issues, West Indian issues, probably the IRA, etc. I'm embarrassed the world to say that Jews in history usually get a bottom rung on the ladder, and if educational goals and programs and tools and aids are not devoted to the fact that six million people were either gassed and cremated or killed in the uh, fields of Ukraine, then the world is a poorer place, and it continues my theme in answer to a previous question of yours, Rick the need for eternal vigilance. Well, we agree wholeheartedly. In fact, so much so that when we do take groups to Israel, the first place that we go to, the first stop on our trip to Israel is the Holocaust Memorial Museum because there is an agenda, it seems, in the world to kind of forget that this happened. So we appreciate your efforts, and we will continue to assist you in those efforts to remember the Holocaust and the effect that it had. Rick, thank you for having me on the program again, and uh, goodbye to all our listeners. Winky Bedad, actually our go-to guy when we want to talk some things about what's taking place, but also we have the opportunity of meeting and talking to Itamar Marcus, and Itamar Marcus has an organization called Palestinian Media Watch, and uh, he's just given me a certain amount of time coming out of a meeting. Itamar, it's great to be with you today. If you could, tell me 
what's happening and and uh, what are you doing and how we can get to your website to for other people to follow you. Okay, so thank you very much for this opportunity. Um, our website's address is palwatch.org. That's P-A-L-W-A-T-C-H dot O-R-G. And we're uploading uh, daily all the latest from the Palestinian world, the latest from their school books, the latest from their uh, social media pages, the latest from their Ministry of Education, uh, the latest from Palestinian television. And you can get a real sense of what's happening in the Palestinian world uh, by following our page. And you can also subscribe there to get our daily newsletter, which we give you sort of the highlight, uh, like today's highlight, would, is you can find it on the front of our website as well, is about the Palestinian Authority Ministry of Education and how they teach Palestinian children that Israel is targeting Palestinian children, wants to kill Palestinian children. Mm. And you'll see on our homepage even a disgusting, disgusting picture of a Palestinian boy uh, drinking um, uh, a bottle from a bottle of, of milk that has on it the name of an Israeli company. Uh, they don't want Palestinians to buy Israeli products. So the boy is, is, is drinking from an, from an Israeli bottle, and what they have done is they photoshopped his picture that you see a bullet coming out of the back of his head mm. and literally his uh, blood pouring out of the back of his head as if he was shot by an Israeli. And what they're saying is if you drink an Israeli product, if you buy an Israeli product, you're paying for the bullets that the Israelis are going to use to murder you. This is the Ministry of Education of the Palestinian Authority. That's the kind of demonization and lies that they uh, that they teach their children and this is on like i say on their website and and the pictures were actually yeah. on the website were taken of posters that were in a palestinian school so the kids in the school are seeing these posters now inamar how can how could you how can the israeli government how can people how do you handle something like this trying to repurpose the message to the younger generation of Palestinians that are coming up. If this is what they're seeing and this is what they think of Israelis, how do you get to them to change their that thought process? Well, the most important thing that could happen is the international community led by the United States and the European Union have to tell the Palestinian Authority that you cannot get any funding from, from international sources as long as you're poisoning your children uh, literally poisoning them with hatred and lies. This has been going on for years. Palestinian Media Watch has been warning mm-hmm. the international community about this for years. Today, we have a generation that I call the poison the generation. They've grown up on so much of this that uh, on a regular basis, we had Palestinian teenagers going out on terror attacks, uh, even suicide terror attacks, mm. where they know they're going to be killed. They, they attack Israeli soldiers with a knife, knowing that they might stab one or two, but they're going to be shot in the end. And they don't care because the Palestinian Authority not only teaches them to hate Israelis, but it teaches them that it's glorious to die for Allah. Uh, To die for Allah means to die as a martyr while attacking an Israeli. Uh, So they they feel like they're doing something that the family will be proud of them if they do it. So this is all part of the poison. And I put the blame on uh, many United States administrations who continued funding the Palestinian Authority in spite of this, uh, when we would bring this material to Washington, the American government would say, would, would criticize the Palestinian Authority. They would demand that they would stop. 
but they never did anything about it. They never actually said, okay, you're not getting any funding. The one who did, by the way, of course, was Donald Trump. Donald Trump did cut off the funding. But right now, the United States is basically telling the Palestinians, you don't have to fix anything. You don't have to change anything. Um, and <laughs> it's funny. They said about UNRWA, you have two years to, to fix mm. to fix things. Uh, this is what you have to do. And they'll check in two years and see if it's <laughs> which is outrageous. No, yeah. you don't tell someone you actually tell them if you fix, you will get the money. Right. So by doing it backwards, they're guaranteeing that there's going to be no improvement. I know you have a, a busy meeting to get to, so I just have one more question for you. And, and this follows along. The Biden administration is apparently hoping that engaging Mahmoud Abbas would undermine Hamas and other Palestinian extremists and, and, and embolden moderate Palestinians who are prepared to make peace with Israel and renouncing violence. The results of the polls, however, show that the Palestinian public is moving in precisely the opposite direction towards more extremism and disillusionment with the Palestinian, uh, the PA leadership. What do you foresee uh, if we continue on this path with the Biden administration trying to uh, deal with moderate Palestinians? Well, first of all, it's a very big mistake to think that the Palestinian Authority is moderate. And I think mm. this is the, the, the fundamental mistake the Americans and the Europeans make. They think that because Hamas openly says they want to destroy Israel, that the Palestinian Authority, because they quietly and internally say that they want to destroy Israel, uh, they're not as dangerous and they're not as lethal and that they're more moderate. They are not more moderate. Um, they uh, literally, uh, there are dozens of examples where they've told the people um, that uh, uh, that that Israel will be destroyed, has to be destroyed. Mm. Israel has no right to exist. It's a common common theme. You said you were talking before about the Balfour Declaration. The Palestinian Authority constantly talks about the Balfour Declaration as proof that Israel has the right to exist because they say that because it was Balfour mm. who who made this declaration, it means by definition that Israel is a colonial implant and as a colonial power colonial implant, we are no different than the whites who ruled in South Africa or the whites who ruled in what was then called Rhodesia, uh, and, and therefore Israel is a colonialist power. Now, this is the Palestinian Authority. This is not moderate. This is absolutely extremist, telling the children, telling their people that we have the right to agree. So first of all, we have to understand there is uh, extremists and more extremists. There are no moderates. In the, in the Palestinian Authority in terms of the people, uh, in terms of the government forces uh, that are there, either in Gaza or in Judea and Samaria, there is extremists and more extremists. That's mm. the first of all. Uh, the second thing is that strengthening the Palestinian Authority uh, isn't going to make them change. If you want them to change, we have to make them think, to make them realize they're not going to get a penny until they moderate themselves. The Palestinian Authority population is leaning towards Hamas because, and not because they're against uh, a peace proposal of the PA. They know the PA isn't proposing it. They're against them because the PA has been corrupt. That's mm-hmm. It has nothing to do with anyone who's more moderate. Uh, the population is extreme, Hamas is very extreme, and the PA is extreme. The difference, again, between Hamas and PA is the PA says quietly what Hamas says openly. Mm. Wow. Do you see this issue being resolved any time in the near future? Uh, will not be resolved in the near future because, as I say, the Palestinian Authority has already poisoned an entire young generation, um, and they need literally detoxification. They they see Israelis and they see 
imagine people who are going to pull out a gun and shoot yeah. them and, you know, between the eyes, you know, based on that picture I described to you this morning. So when, uh, when a whole generation is brought up with this, uh, uh, they literally detoxification, uh, the whole Palestinian leadership totally has to be replaced with people who want peace. There are Palestinians who want peace, but they're not in leadership positions, unfortunately. Uh, were that to happen, you'd begin a process of changing and, and re-educating. But uh, something like I would say is happening in the Gulf states now. There's an all of a sudden moderate leadership that recognizes Israel and wants to be, have relations with Israel. Uh, we need a leader for the Palestinian population, like some of these leaders who are in the Gulf states. Is there anyone who we see on the horizon mm. who could be such a leader? Mm. No, there's no one who was a candidate in the previous elections, who was in any which way moderate like that, who actually wants peace with Israel. So um, it's going to take a while. Wow. Itamar Marcus, thank you so much for taking time out of your busy schedule and the meetings that you have going on. And, and again, thank you for keeping us aware, Americans, uh, people around the world with your website and all that you do and, and helping us to stay aware of what's going on. Thank you very much. Bye-bye. That was Itamar Marcus that we just talked to and his organization, Palestinian Media Watch. Now we're switching direction just for a few moments because something exciting has been announced in Israel. Rabbi Hillel Weiss, the spokesman for the Sanhedrin, announced the beginning of the anointing oil project last week, appropriately enough, before the holiday of Hanukkah in a sermon that he gave on the Temple Mount. Rabbi Weiss emphasized that a Kohen Gadol, the high priest, and temple utensils will be anointed when the temple service begins, which does not need an actual temple structure, only an altar. Now, Rabbi Weiss, it's great to have you here today. Thank you very much. Now, tell us about how you made this announcement. Okay. For about eight years, we are preparing a pure oil oil. Clean oil, which means to make the oil for, for the lamp in the temple mm-hmm. and also for the offerings. Now we want to we want now to go further and to make this oil, this past Shemen uh, to anoint the Kohen Gadol, the chief priest, and it's also to anoint the king. Mm. Now, of course, it is associated with the Messiah. But we are we are not uh, dealing straight with this topic uh, because we don't know who is the Messiah, and uh, we, according to Judaism, we believe that he will be one of the descendants of uh, David the King. Right. Of course, we will be very happy if the Messiah uh, will come. We are waiting him all the years. This is one of the major principles of Judaism, according Maimonides. And we know that it is uh, associated with this. Now, there is a guy, uh, not a religious guy, and he is raising many, many spices, perfumes, and mm-hmm. so on. Yeah. And he, and he made it very, he made, made it very scientifically, a lot of research and experiment and so on. And he's coming to our sermon to show how he uh, distillizes this oil. What are the these five ingredients that we try to to identify? We are making now all the preparation. Now, all, 
all the humanity is waiting for the Messiah, but there is a debate when and who, and by all the religion, they say the Nahadi, we say the son of David, you say your name, and so on. Uh-huh. And the Aileen of Hashem, Aileen of God, that he will lead all those processes and all the, what he promised in the prophecies, and for sure it will come. You know, you said uh, we are now entering the time when the preparations for the temple are almost complete. Now is the time for people to act to show whether they will be a part of the temple or stand against the reappearance yeah, of God's true. house that's in Jerusalem. True. Yeah, that's true. That's so true. You, you said, said that very precisely. Yep. You said yes. I said it. Yes. Yep. You said it very good, very precisely. <laughs> Well, we, we okay. need to come back sometime and have a conversation. I would love to follow that up, and we'll do that in the future. Okay. But Rabbi thank Weiss, thank, thank you so much, thank you. Uh, thank the spokesperson. Much. Yes, sir. All right. Okay. Rabbi Hillel Weiss, and what's going on right now as far as developing that ointment that will be used to anoint the king's uh, or the Messiah in the future. That's very interesting, and we will follow up back up with him. What a great half hour, Winky Madad, talking about everything that's taking place in Israel as far as the right of return for the Arabs and the Palestinians, and not only that, but talking about the Ethiopians that want to get back to the land of Israel and the rescue efforts that will be taking place. And, of course, Itamar Marcus from Palestinian Media Watch. Well, we're going to have to take a break, and when we come back, Dr. Jimmy DeYoung and his legacy series, teaching on the three strands of the human family, right here on Prophecy Today Weekend. Welcome back to Prophecy Today. I'm Jimmy DeYoung, Jr., along with my brother Rick. We are examining current events in the light of God's prophetic word. Our last half hour of the program is coming up, and in this series we have uh, our father, Dr. Jimmy DeYoung, who will be teaching in his legacy series on the three strands of the human family, and that's so very important when you're studying Bible prophecy. But Rick, let's talk about our ministry for a little bit. You know, we are continuing the ministry, and uh, there's so much that's involved, not only with the website, but our ministry as a whole, uh, my speaking and, and your speaking, our trips to Israel. But uh, what do you think as far as a future is concerned for our ministry? How could people help us if they wanted to get involved with our ministry? Well, we'd love for you to get involved with our ministry. And this legacy series is actually uh, a good example of what our ministry is going to continue to do is we're teaching foundational biblical truths. And we're looking at current events in the light of this Bible prophecy. And so it, it then tells us how to live. But if people would like to get involved with us, we would love to partner with you. If you go to prophecytoday.com slash partners, uh, you can support our ministry. And we do need your support to continue the work that uh, our father, Dr. Jimmy DeYoung, has started. But even so, we've been working with our family ministry for over 20 years now. So we are excited to continue this on, and we're excited to continue to possibly partner with you. Yes. This is the giving season, and we so hope that you would keep us in mind, not only us, but the local station that's carrying this program and for many other places uh, that you're giving. In fact, that's a very important part of the body of Christ is to be able to help to continue ministries like our own as we are 
continuing to teach the Word of God, continuing to uh, teach Bible prophecy, helping people to understand how they can understand the times in which they're living. Well, Rick, this is the Legacy Series. We're going to continue the series on the three strands of the human family, today focusing on the Jewish people. In our last study, we learned that it was the Lord who established nations. He brought them into existence. This is recorded in Genesis chapter 10. I must remind you that these nations came out of the Gentile peoples. There are three members of the human family, according to 1 Corinthians chapter 10 and verse 32. These three members are Gentiles, Jews, and Christians. Our study of God setting aside a people for himself, the Jewish people, will help us to come to an understanding of Bible prophecy and at the same time learn how the Lord will use these people, the Jewish people, to be a light unto the nations. As we begin our study today of God's plan for a priestly nation, the Jewish nation, we must begin by looking at a genealogy found in Genesis chapter 11. Actually, in Genesis chapters 5, 10, and 11, there are genealogies that are key to our study of the Word of God. Take your Bible now, and let's go to Genesis chapter 11. It is important to study genealogies. When you look at Genesis chapter 5, you see a genealogy from Adam all the way to Noah. And it's key for the reason ahead of why God is going to destroy the earth. You start here in chapter 11 and verse 10. You see the record of Shem, and it comes down all the way over here to verse 26. And Terah lived 70 years and begot Abram. That was 292 years after these guys started moving out and developing their own nations. And then we come down and see that in verse 31, he leaves Ur of the Chaldees, headed towards Canaan. And they came to Haran, which is in modern-day Turkey, and he stayed there for a while before he came in. Look at chapter 12, verse 1, just a second. A little bit of a history lesson, because we want to see now God's plan for a priestly nation. Now the Lord said unto Abram, Get thee out of thy country, and from thy kindred, and from thy father's house into a land. Underline that phrase. You're not going to be a nation. He's going to promise him. He's going to make him a nation. Hey, you can have a group of people who elect a prime minister or a president, and that's not a nation. They've got to have a piece of real estate. And so God said, I am going to take you from your father's house into a land that I will show unto thee, and I will make of thee a great nation. And so Abraham left. The best and fastest way for Abraham to travel was to go straight across the desert into Hebron. But what he did is he went up the Euphrates River and he went up over the Fertile Crescent and came down into Hebron. Why? Had to have water while he was traveling. You travel the Euphrates River. Had to have food and that's where all the agricultural crops were. But God wanted him to be a witness. So Abraham went along and said, Hey, God, Yahweh has given me a land, and it'll make me a nation. Whereabouts, Abraham? Over in Canaan. And he was giving testimony all the way along. He gets into the land, and God says, I brought you here to give you this land and to make you a nation. 
And he tells them how much of the land he's going to give him. I want to tell you something, my dear friend. What God has promised to give Abraham, and you can see this in the 15th chapter of the book of Genesis, which is basically the Abrahamic covenant, one of the four Jewish covenants. He says, I'm going to give you from the river in Egypt all the way to the Euphrates and down to the east to the Persian Gulf and all the land within. You know what that is? Half of Egypt, all of Israel all of Lebanon, all of Syria, all of Jordan, three-quarters of Iraq, all of Kuwait, three-quarters of Saudi Arabia. That's what God's promised to give the Jewish people. You want to know what the problem is now? The late president of Syria, Hafez al-Assad, his son's the president now, Bashar Assad, he said the problem in the Middle East is that these Jews believe the Bible. They believe God's given them this land. He's going to give them the land. That's what he said, I'm going to give you a land. Abraham has a son called Ishmael. That's the 16th chapter of the book of Genesis. 17th chapter, God promises Abraham, I'm going to give you another son with Sarah. He gives him Isaac. Isaac then has a son. By the way, that's an interesting story. 25th chapter of the book of Genesis says Isaac married a lady from Syria, Rebekah. And she had a barren womb, just like his mother. He prayed. And by the way, you got to watch how you pray because he overprayed. He wanted a son. He got two. You be careful. Be specific when you're praying. And uh, Isaac had a son named Esau and a son named Jacob. And those two boys, while they were still in their mother's womb, 25th chapter of the book of Genesis, verse 23, says that God appeared to Rebekah and said, Hey, two nations are in thy womb. Two manner of people, and the elder shall serve the younger. Well, the elder was the one who was supposed to have the birthright and get the blessing pronounced upon him and the father. And through manipulation, supposedly, you see, if Rebecca and Jacob had only listened to what God said, they wouldn't have had to manipulate. God said, two nations are in thy womb, and the elder's going to serve the younger. But they didn't believe it. They didn't believe God. So they manipulated. They got the blessing and they got the, the, also the birthright. Jacob runs out of the country because he's scared to death that oh Esau, Esau said, I'm going to kill him. He runs up to Haran. There, same place where Abraham lived. While he's up there, he marries a couple of girls. They have 11 sons. They come back into the land. When they're coming back into the land to have their 12th son, where Rachel's going to have a son in Bethlehem Euphrates. He takes a little side journey. He goes over the Jabbok River, and there he has a time with Jesus Christ, a pre-incarnate appearance, 32nd chapter of the book of Genesis. They have a wrestling match all night, and you know what? <laughs> you know what Jacob said? I'm not going to let you go, Lord, till you do something for me. You know what he did? He struck his thigh, crippling his thigh. Why? Because that's the strongest muscle in your body. It's 10 times stronger than any muscle in your body. And Jacob was going to remember every day as he would limp through life. The Lord gave him that. But he also changed his name to Israel. This is unique because of the fact that his grandfather, Abraham, had been called a Hebrew. Chapter 14, verse 13 of the book of Genesis. And now his name is changed from Jacob to Israel. And he has 12 sons, and one of them is named Judah. And they start calling him a Jew. Book of 2 Kings, chapter 16, verse 6. 
And you see coming into existence these people. Let me show you something very interesting. Go to Deuteronomy chapter 32, verse 8. When the Most High divided the nations, their inheritance, when he separated the sons of Adam, when he set the bounds of the people according to the number of the children of Israel. When God separated all of humankind, he did it according to the number of the people of Israel. He selects these people, the Jewish people, to be a priestly nation. I'll show you that in a minute. Go back to chapter 7 of Deuteronomy. Let me show you why he selected them. Verse 6. For thou art a holy people unto the Lord thy God. The Lord thy God hath chosen thee to be a special people unto himself above all people that are upon the face of the earth. You know why he chose them? Oh, they were going to be obedient every day. They were going to do exactly what he said. They were going to be soft-hearted. No. Verse 7. The Lord did not set his love upon you, nor choose you, because you were more in number than any people, for ye were the fewest of all the people. Verse 8. But because the Lord loved you. Put above verse 8 the word grace, G-R-A-C-E. Because the Lord loved these people. That's the reason he selected me to be born again. But he chose these people because they, he loved them. That's why he chose us. Go to Exodus chapter 19, verse 5. Now, therefore, if you will obey my voice indeed and keep my covenant, then ye shall be a peculiar treasure unto me above all people, for all the earth is mine, and ye will be unto me a kingdom of priests and a holy nation. He sets a theocracy in place because his plan from the very outset was to establish a kingdom right at the very beginning. Sin entered in. But he said, okay, because all these other peoples are going to be sinners, I'm going to select you people, and I'm going to show the world. You will be the testimony of the reality of a pure, perfect, almighty, holy God. You will be the testimony of the blessing you receive when you're obedient to that true, perfect, almighty, holy God. You will receive the words of God. Romans chapter 3. What advantage hath the Jew? God has given them the scriptures. And from the loins of one of your daughters will come forth the Messiah. He chose a people, a priestly nation, to accomplish his will. Thus, God has a plan that has not been finished. It has to be finished. You can't negate his promises. You see, I'm born again and I know I'm going to heaven because he is not a liar. And he can't lie to me and he can't lie to the Jews. He sets up a priestly nation. But he tells them, you're going to be persecuted. They were living under the Mosaic Covenant. That's chapter 20 of Exodus. He gives them the law. And he says in Deuteronomy, through Moses, chapter 28, if you don't obey the God, that's giving you all of this. You're going to be scattered across the whole world. By the way, the Arch of Titus in Rome, Italy, is a monument to the fulfillment of that prophecy. General Titus destroyed the city, devastated the temple, returned to Rome. His father was the emperor. He erected the Arch of Titus to welcome his victorious son entering in. That's a fulfillment of Bible prophecy. You don't obey me. I will scatter you to the four corners of the earth. Persecution is going to be the life of this nation that is established.
And indeed, that priestly nation has been persecuted down through the centuries. But this priestly nation, scattered across the world because of their disobedience, will be regathered, and the Lord will use these Jewish people. God will set in place a priestly nation once again, the nation of the Jewish people, his chosen people, to give testimony of the reality of a pure, perfect, almighty, holy God, and to testify of the blessing received by being obedient to this holy God. God has, over the centuries, given the Jewish people the word of God. They have received it, preserved it, and passed the Bible along to all of mankind. God will indeed use this priestly nation in the future. Dr. Jimmy DeYoung and the three strands of the human family, Gentiles, Jews, and Christians from 1 Corinthians chapter 10, verse 32. You know, it's very important as you study Bible prophecy to use the proper hermeneutics, the proper method for studying Bible prophecy, and it will help you to understand the times in which we're living. Well, we've got to take a break, and when we come back, we'll take a look at the book right here on Prophecy Today Weekend. The book of Revelation is God's final word to man and the timeline of the last days revealed to the Christians. This symbolism-filled example of apocalyptic literature can be difficult to understand, especially when simply reading it from beginning to end. Dr. Jimmy DeYoung's latest book, Revelation, A Chronology, takes a walk through the prophetic book of Revelation in the order that the events will take place, chronologically, sharing insights into its true meaning and doing so in an easy-to-understand and practical way. If you have difficulty understanding the book of Revelation, get your copy of Revelation, A Chronology, and let Dr. Jimmy DeYoung aid you in your understanding of this profound end-times prophecy book that God has preserved in His Scriptures for Christians in the last days. To order your copy of Jimmy DeYoung's Revelation, A Chronology, call us toll-free at 877-674-3298 or visit our website at prophecytoday.com. I'm Ruth Kramer with Mission Network News. Sudan remains in a communications blockout 19 days after military leaders took control of the country. John, a gospel worker focused on Sudan, says the October 25th coup did not surprise believers. A new report from the Religious Freedom Institution identifies active threats to religious freedom and stability like the security forces. Nonetheless, hope remains. The Lord is still at work in Sudan. Pray believers from a Muslim background become a powerful kingdom-building force. And in August, sudden wildfires swept through Algeria's Kabyle region. Ninety people died, and many others lost their homes and farms. This region of Algeria has suffered greatly due to COVID-19. Many families have lost multiple people to the virus. Christians often feel isolated as churches remain closed. And that's where Sat7 comes in, says Joe Willie, broadcasting worship and teaching programs into people's homes. Ask God to strengthen Algeria's believers. Mission Network News, a service of One Way Ministries. I'm Ms. Kramer. Welcome back to Prophecy Today. I'm Jimmy DeYoung, Jr., you know, Rick, this is the time of the program where we take a look at the book, where we're examining not only the current events that we have talked about on today's program, but how it fits into Bible prophecy. And Rick, I'm so thankful that we have great broadcast partners that are helping us to focus on certain issues uh, that we feel that really do uh, fit into the stage being set for future events. Absolutely, Jimmy. You know, one of the things, one of the services that we seek to provide is to provide accurate 
information and accurate reporting. And we've thoroughly vetted the journalists and reporters and newsmakers that we interview on this program. And then we take that information again, and that's what we're doing right now in the look at the book. And we just look at how it, like you said, could be setting the stage for Bible prophecy to be fulfilled. If you want to, we could start with our first guest. And we often talk to Ken Timmerman, and he's very insightful. And he was looking at three different entities. We're talking about China. We're talking about Iran, and we're talking about the European Union and the way they are beginning to increase their military capabilities. And that certainly sets the stage for Bible prophecy to be fulfilled, doesn't it, Jimmy? It does. You know, when you look at China, China, again, and you know, we talk about this from week to week, Rick. We are examining, and it seems like the same countries, but really we are focusing on the countries that are in Bible prophecy. And China certainly is one of them, wanting by 2049 to be the world leader. That's their goal uh, on the celebration of the 100th year of communism, of socialism uh, in the country. So, And that's their declared goal, is to be able to be the world leader. When we look at Bible prophecy, again, I take you to the book of Revelation. The book of Revelation really lays out everything that will take place in the future. That timeline of Bible prophecy, uh, beginning with the tribulation period, the first seal, uh, the man on a white horse, the Antichrist that comes. And then you have the rest of the 21 judgments that are unfolding. Revelation chapter 16 talks about the kings out of the east. And we uh, again, we look at China and the role that it's going to play. We look at Iran, the role that it plays in Bible prophecy. That's Ezekiel 38, uh, Daniel chapter 11, and Psalm 83. These nations that come against Israel with the declared purpose to wipe Israel off the face of the map. And we've talked about that today, not only with Ken Timmerman, but David Dolan, Winky Madad. They've all brought up the fact that Iran has a dedicated purpose, which is to wipe Israel off the face of the map. So that's why it's so important that we focus on those uh, topics with Ken Timmerman. Another thing that stood out to me, and this was with talking with Dave Dolan, a little bit with Hillel Weiss too, as he's talking about what's going on in Jerusalem. But we we look at the consulate and we look at how, again, Israel and, the, and particularly the city of Jerusalem is at the center of the world's focus right now. And we know throughout history, uh, Jerusalem specifically has played a central role in God's plan for humankind. And then we look in the future and it says that Jerusalem is going to be like a cup of trembling. Yes, that's from the book of Zechariah, chapter 12. You know, when you look at Jerusalem and you focus on, and that's what we do, we're focusing on Jerusalem and the Jewish people because God has a specific plan in the future. Now, we understand the role that Jerusalem and this cup of trembling that uh, has began throughout history, his story, from the very beginning to present day and why we focus on it today. But then as we look at the future, Dave Dolan focused on what's taking place in uh, not only with the Jewish people, but Israel, but the city of Jerusalem specifically. And then, of course, you mentioned Rabbi Hillel Weiss talking about an event that's taking place and the uh, bringing back of the anointing oil, anointing the king of Israel. There are prophecies that a future descendant of King David, which both the Jews and the Christians believe would be the Messiah, but 
we see it as Jesus Christ and the Jewish people see a different person for the Messiah. But as they are preparing this oil to anoint him, uh, we do see a uh, the Temple Institute and the Jewish people preparing to rebuild a temple and to anoint a king or the Messiah in the future. I just think it's very interesting that John talked about measuring that temple, Revelation chapter 11, that would be standing during the tribulation period. Uh, Peter talked about it in Second Thessalonians. Jesus mentioned it in Matthew chapter 24. And of course, Daniel mentioned it all the way back in Daniel chapter 9, that there would be a temple standing and that the sacrifices would be caused to come to an end. So we know that there are at least two more temples in the future, one the temple that will stand during the tribulation period, and then, of course, the temple that will stand that Jesus will build in the millennial kingdom in the future where Jesus Christ will rule and reign as the Messiah, not only for Christians, for the Gentiles, for Jews, and for all the people that are in the world at that point in time. So many events taking place and so many things happening, and and this is the way that God intended it. And it's why if you look at the scriptures, one-third of the Bible is prophecy. And as we've talked about before, half of those prophecies have been fulfilled, half of them will be fulfilled. But this motivates us to be ready for those prophecies that are yet to be fulfilled, doesn't it? It sure does, Rick. And that's why we do this program, helping others to understand God's prophetic plan for the future. You know, I always tell people, how do we know how to finish the race? How do we know how to keep pressing toward the mark for the prize of the high calling? Well, God lays it out in his word, why it's important that we live a pure, productive, holy life in an unholy world, how to do it, uh, those lessons that he taught to the, his, his disciples, <laughs> which we which we learn how to live our lives. But then again, those letters by Peter and Paul to the early church, the early believers that were suffering basically the same type of persecution that if we're not suffering right now, we could suffer even before the rapture of the church takes place. But we do know because of how we study Bible prophecy that there will be future judgments on the earth that the church will not be a part of. And as we study through the three strands of the human family, we understand how the Gentiles, Jews, and the Christians play specific roles in the future in God's program. Rick, thank you so much for joining with me today on the program. Thank you for a great job that you did on the interviews. And we are looking forward to next week's program as we get closer into the holiday season where we are uh, not only will be looking at the birth of Christ, but the Jewish festival of Hanukkah or the festival of lights. So I'm looking forward to the month of December as we get into our program. Well, thank you, Jimmy. It's been a great program and I'm looking forward to that as well. Folks, so much is happening in our world as we look at and we examine current events in the light of God's prophetic word. The rapture of the church could happen today. And that's our hope for you that you keep looking up until. Thank you so much for joining us today. This is Jay Johnson inviting you to join us again next week for more of Prophecy Today. Prophecy Today is a listener-supported production of Shofar Communications in Chattanooga, Tennessee. Thank you.